I over index on the messaging rather than the design. And I think that's where I'm different too from like conversion rate optimization. Welcome to Unmiss, your go-to digital marketing hub. I'm Anatoly Ulatovsky, here with expert tips and exclusive chats to boost your online game. Let's get started. Hello, good people. Welcome to our show. Hello, bad people. Welcome to our show. <laughs> Hello, welcome. Today we are going to discuss more about landing pages, how you can create great landing page that will provide results, that will sell your products. I see it's a big issue when companies can have traffic but can't monetize or to get just not good conversion rates. So I'm excited to learn more about that with Tess Bobber. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm so excited to be here. A big pleasure. A big pleasure. Want to learn more about that. It's important. Especially I pay so much attention to get organic reach, to deserve traffic. We create a lot of content, but we need sales. It's not about how much traffic you can get. It's not about engagement, anything else. It's more about sales. So it's the end of any goals. Yeah. Before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and anything that can help our listeners to learn more about you. Yeah. Uh, so Tass Bober, I have been in marketing and specifically digital marketing and more specifically B2B digital marketing for the last 15 years or so. And uh, I started in, uh, you know, print back in the day, social media uh, platforms didn't even have company pages. It was a new thing. And I was working for a magazine, then uh, NBC TV station for six years, and then a big insurance consulting company, and then entered into B2B SaaS shortly after for the last half of my career. And uh, they're all totally different, but B2B in general, long sales cycles, um, lots of trying to attribute different uh, channels to different sales. But in essence, it's really hard because it's not like... Uh, buying pants from Old Navy, right? We are uh, selling to people who are making big, big decisions, $50,000, you know, contract value uh, purchases. And that requires a lot of research and information. And one thing B2B is very, very good about is about hiding information. And so I want to evangelize a better way of uh, providing the information to the customers upfront. So when they come to you for those sales, they're 80% ready. Oh, nice. Love it. Love it. So it's like to warm your customers before selling anything. And yes. yeah, yeah, uh, you know, I love to speak with marketers who started before digital, you know, because uh, uh, these marketers know how to satisfy customers, not algorithms, how to create content for people uh, who consume this content. And today it's tough to game the system. And if you know how to satisfy your customers, you can win their attention, you can get results, and it's very important. Uh, I want to start about collecting data. Can you tell how to get this information? Because I see it's a big issue when uh, customers usually analyze competitors by using some tools uh, like SEMrush, HRS, I don't know, many great tools we have today. Analyze competitors, see how they get traffic, and then uh, to do totally the same. But all companies have a strong side. All companies have their unique selling proposition. Even if two companies can sell the same product, it doesn't mean that we can convert 
uh, in the same way. So tell your methods how to collect data and to learn customers. Yeah, I think one of the things that now, especially with the onset of AI, it's easy to produce a huge volume of content that's more top of funnel and educational, right? So if you look at Loom, I love using Loom as an example. So Loom does like video capture or screen capture with video that you can send and eliminates meetings, right? So even the way I describe their product is based on a capability and feature. I'm not sitting here and explaining to you what screen capture is. Anyone can go into Google right now, go to chat GPT, whatever, and get an idea of what that is. And before, or really right now, the current way to do it is B2B companies are on their blog. They're saying, what is video screen capture, right? But instead they should be talking and positioning their product. So I'll give you an example of competitors, right? So Vidyard and Loom are two competitors and they have done the competitive comparison correctly, which is they both talk about each other, but they talk about each other in a positive light. And they're saying, Loom says, Vidyard is great. If you are in an enterprise team, you have the budget, you want a full scale video production platform, Vidyard is amazing. And they have our feature too. If you're a smaller team and you just want to eliminate meetings, we're the right ones for you. So they're not crapping on their competitors. They are not, um, you know, putting anybody in a bad light. They're being very real about the differentiator and they're talking about it in terms of the product. And I think that's where companies can win is being very specific about what they offer and what they allow customers to do. The problem is all of B2B, regardless of what company and what category, they're all sounding the same right now. All in one platform, seamless integrations. We're going to revolutionize the way you work, right? What does that mean to the customer? It means nothing. Um, and so I think that's where we can win now is agnostic of tools is to say, because you can go to SEMrush, right? Vidyard and Loom can go to SEMrush and look at the keywords and say, okay, this is what we need to bid on. They both can bid on the same exact thing. They can create content for the same exact thing. Um, but then they're going to end up in the same spot. So the way to be unique and differentiated is to actually just talk about your product. In terms of collecting data, I think we're, we're very, very stuck on that because pre-digital, one of the reasons I got into digital is because of the data. I'm like, wow, this is real-time stuff. It's so good. I want more of this. It's like a drug, right? But then what ended up happening is where we are overemphasizing on the data. So now it's becoming an attribution problem, right? So, and we're saying this is bad data, this is good data. But if you just look at what the customer does, especially for B2B, that's long form, lots of content, and you want them to consume information, there are a few things you can do. One, outside of the CTAs, demos pipeline, you have to see how much of the information on the page they're consuming. So heat map data is super important. So you wanna, you wanna check how consumers and customers are consuming the information on the page. So you're gonna do that through heat map, uh, heat map data, how much time they're spending on the page, are they leaving before they even scroll down? Um, are they consuming the assets on the page? And then are you being very clear with what features and use cases that you're leveraging and showcasing? And so you're looking at how they're engaging on the page before you think about just what they're clicking on. Or what are they, are they hovering over a certain paragraph? Are they spending a little more time there? And I think that's the biggest piece is we need to push for consumption over conversion. So when people are like, are you a CRO specialist? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a CRO specialist, but not conversion rate optimization. It's consumption rate optimization. I want them to consume the information that's on the page.
Nice, nice. You mentioned about good data, bad data. Can you describe how to figure out which one is good, which one is bad? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends contextually. I think we get very, very caught up in, you know, if we have, say on a page, you have five CTAs. Now you have one person who's trying to make a decision on what what button to click. You've given them too many things. So what happens is if you send 100 people to the page and they all go off in different directions, you don't have enough data to say that one CTA is working better than the other, right? Um, and so at that point, I always say, make it a very, very focused experience because you're just ruining it for yourself if you're driving too many channels to a landing page, if you're driving too many CTAs out of the landing page, you're giving them too much information and more than likely they're going to be overwhelmed. So I see the, the one statistic I talk about a lot, 44% of B2B paid ads go to the homepage. And the homepage is the worst pay place to send them to because it is the place that is least clear about what you do as a company and what they can off be offered. So it's like flushing money down the lane, uh, down the line. So now when we look at data, I think the biggest thing is there's no good or bad. Like vanity, people are like vanity metrics, impressions and clicks don't matter. Uh, it only matters how much pipeline and revenue. Yes, but every single data point is an indicator of something else happening. For example, you get a lot of impressions, you don't get a lot of clicks. What does that tell you? That tells you that your message is not resonating. You're getting people to look at it, but they're not clicking because your ad copy is shit, to be honest. And then, yeah. but if you have a lot of clicks, but not a lot of conversions, now you're going to say, okay, there's something up with the landing page. I need to move some things around and see how I can generate more clicks or more conversions on the landing page. Same thing. You get a lot of conversions, but not a lot of qualified leads that are coming in and sales is complaining. Then that's not a problem that you're going to go change the ads. Now what you're going to do is, okay, is my targeting good? Am I sending the right people to the page? So I talk about troubleshooting the funnel and I always think back to front, reporting and reverse engineer into the ads and everything that you're running to drive people there. Yeah, love it, love it, valuable. Uh, you know, I usually start to learn uh, products before learning customers. Uh, and it's interesting, remember, once um, I got a good payment uh, to analyze online games. And what I did, I played a few days on these games. <laughs> and when my son uh, caught me, <laughs> he, he asked what's going on. You told me that you always read books, but you are playing games. What's going on? <laughs> and I replied to him, you know, I, I got a payment, 16K, you know, to play these games, to analyze how I can help these games. And he replied to me, what? 16K? Nobody pays me. <laughs> you know, I play all my life. I have much better experience tell them to pay me, you know, <laughs> because mm -hmm. I, I can provide much better results. I'm pretty sure you can explain more, but yeah, I got for my consultancy service. I, I just want to ask your methods, how to learn uh, products? Uh, because, mm -hmm. you know, if I don't try products, for me, it's tough to understand customers. And that was tricky about this online games, because if you check the average data, uh, youngsters usually play online games, mm -hmm. but on these games, card games are only old people plus yeah. years. So I didn't know like my parents. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so tell your methods how to learn products before uh, creating marketing message. <laughs> yeah. So 
I do this a couple of ways. It depends on the type of company. So some clients, I actually have direct access to the tool, right? Because I might be the the ICP that they're going after. So for example, if I was working with Loom, I'm already using the product. I know what to use. I know what the primary use cases are. So I have some knowledge that I can bring because I've leveraged the, uh, the product. I'm working now uh, with a screen capture tool. I can't say the name, but I'm working with a screen capture tool and I'm, I was actually using their competitor. So yeah. when I met with them, I told them, I'm like, I don't use your tool. I use your competitor tool. And so I signed up for a free trial of their tool and I used it for 30 days. And now I can tell the difference between the screen capture tool I have and the screen capture tool that I'll be working on. Um, so when I have access to the product, I will 100% dive in and try to learn about it and think about the use cases for me. So that's one area if I have access to the product. Now for more like larger products, like something like Salesforce, where it's like I'm not the ICP, um, but I need to learn about it. What I do with my clients now is I have a three-step process before we go in and start creating landing pages for them. The first step is a 60 to 75 minute call where I sit with them and I ask them very pointed questions about their product. So the pain points, use cases, um, the features, capabilities, customer testimonials, who their best fit customers are, the sales process, and um, just grabbing benchmarks of where they are today. And a lot, a lot of times they'll say, oh, okay, um, I, I'm just going to give you all my competitive messaging. I'm going to send you a bunch of slides and I'll send you a sales page. I'm like, I don't want any of your materials. I want you to spend time with me for 60 minutes on this call and talk to me about your product as if I'm hearing about it for the first time. Because if you can't sell me on this call, I can't sell your product on the landing page. I want to know that you know your product and you're able to explain it to me in layman's terms before I'm out there promoting your product for you. And so that always is a helpful starting point because they have to prepare and they come in and they're ready to talk to me, just organic conversations, not an interrogation. It's like how you and I are talking. And it's just very like, tell me about the product. I ask follow-up questions. I get an understanding. It's recorded. And I document everything in this dashboard. I have like a little Notion doc um, where I keep all my clients. And then they have all their customer research, ICP research, sales process, all in one place. And what happens is that research that we've documented from that 60-minute conversation serves like the Bible for their other consultants, their in-house team. So this is where everybody can be aligned. And that call itself. If they decide after the 60 minutes, they don't want to work with me. Cool. They already have something valuable that they've gotten from that, which is being able to talk about the product very directly, very clearly, not in marketing speak. They're just talking one-on-one -on -one with somebody. And so that's been super helpful. And that's how I gain an understanding of a product who I may not have access to. And then also getting to test the marketing team to see how much they know about their own product. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Let's talk about simplicity. I think you you shared a little bit uh, that customers can land to your page and don't know what to click, confuse. And I see it's a big issue when companies are trying to add all benefits. Uh, and uh, mm -hmm. if you have a lot of them, um, yeah, people don't know what to how to behave on this page. So tell about choosing priorities. I mean, like, or uh, most important data that we need to share for different customers. 
Yeah, I think from the landing, I have six core landing page frameworks. And essentially, we leverage those frameworks. So I can tell you what they are. One is the primary offer. So in essence, this would be why you exist, why you built what you built, and for who, who's the ICP, what are their pain points. And in essence, this serves as a framework that's like on the paid side, but you can use it as like a sandbox to test messaging. And you can take that information and put it on your homepage. So it's supposed to translate to the homepage. Now, I also have five others. So one is about the product specifically, where you're making the product the star of the show. Another one is your competitive differentiation. So how do you fit against a key few competitors that you are losing deals to right now? Not everybody and their brother, just the ones you're losing deals to. The customers are researching you versus another competitor. Trust, relevant uh, testimonials. Your demo page, what they can expect if they do want to have a meeting with you. That's one thing we don't ever do, right? We submit a request. You don't know if you're ever going to hear back from the company or not, or they never leave you alone. One of the two things happen. And then pricing, if you are showcasing your pricing publicly, which you should, um, I have a framework for that as well. So leveraging these five frameworks, we basically take that, we run paid traffic to them, we see what they're responding to, and that informs the main website strategy. So that's kind of like how I've set it up. Now, in terms of clarity and simplicity, I always say you could have the nastiest looking page, okay, in all of history, <laughs> but if your messaging is clear, you're going to get better conversion rates than a beautifully designed, amazing looking, visually stunning page. And that's because at the end of the day, it's who's answering the, the customer's questions the best. And that comes down to the copy, right? So I always talk about very, very focused experiences. Even with copy, I think we try to sound too smart. And uh, the research has shown that people read on a third to fifth grade level. So mm -hmm. using very, very layman's terms, uh, speaking like as if you were talking to someone one-on-one, -on -one, using active voice, being very clear about the immediate benefit, not down the... Not every, every single B2B company right now is uh, helping you increase revenue. Like, enough. We need to talk about what the immediate benefit is. So being extremely clear there, being minimalist is going to help you more than stuffing it full of elements that don't need to be there. So I always look at it from a simplicity standpoint, but messaging is always first. And then functionality, how quickly is it loading? Is there too much going on in the page? Because we have to be um, mindful of people with disabilities, which is 25% um, of people. So it's a huge group that you're isolating, making sure things are visible and making sure that they're clear. So that's kind of my, my framework is I'm, I over index on the messaging rather than the design. And I think that's where I'm different too from like conversion rate optimization. Wow, wow. Yeah, I'm going to share this episode with my best marketing department <laughs> to tell them to learn because not all pages work well. So we need to yeah. change something. And uh, I want to ask about pre-landing pages, not landing pages, pre-landing pages when customers are not ready to buy. So mm -hmm. You need to convince them to give strong reason, uh, solid reason. I don't know. And uh, I mean, like, uh, do you have experience to create pre-landing pages uh, with your story to share how your products can help others uh, decide their problems? Uh, any, any insights about that? Yeah, I think the way I developed my frameworks was to make sure that it kind of answered those questions. So that primary offer framework I told you about, which is 
why you built the thing, why, you know, you saw this gap in the market. So we built this product to serve XYZ need that kind of tells a story. So if you had general keywords or you had a specific use case or problem, you can direct people to that page, which essentially walks through, here's the problems we saw, here are the pains of our customers, here's how we are solving it. And they're walking through that story. And then here's customers we've solved it for already. And so it's almost like that is a stage of the funnel that it captures. Because right now, what the misconception is, is that top of funnel is like white papers, <laughs> ebooks, mm -hmm. whatever. I'm like, fine, there's a place for that. But that's not top of funnel. That doesn't do anything to educate the market about your product and the problem that you're solving. And that's why I built those frameworks, because they are kind of foundational, meaning in your paid programs, they're going to always be on. They're the engine that's always running. And then you can layer on your accessory programs on top of that, like your white papers, events, webinars, whatever other stuff that you're trying to do. But those are the, the core six will always be running because if someone's looking for video uh, screen capture tool, then you can set, Loom can send them to that primary offer page and say, hey, we are a video uh, screen capture tool. We saw that people are spending too much time on meetings. They're usually quadruple booked, right? They're agitating the pain. They're quadruple booked. You have no time to do real work. Sometimes a five-minute like explanation turns into a 30-minute meeting. You don't have 30 minutes. So we decided to create this video screen capture tool so that you can explain in five minutes um, and record, send it to your friends, send anyone on the internet can see the link, even if they don't have a Loom account. And it's great. And you get to save on average seven meetings a week. Now you're tying that pain point to a feature, capability, benefit, you know, all the way to the outcome. That tells a story. So you can send people to that page. But now if someone says Loom pricing, you have a pricing page to send them. Loom demo, you have a demo page to send to them. Loom versus Vidyard, you have a competitor page to send. Um, so that's kind of how I, I think about when people are doing actual research for a tool that's going to solve a problem, that's the path they go through. The issues yeah. down to the product details, down to the, who are the other players in the market, what's the pricing, and what when can I see more of the product? Yeah, nice, nice. Um, I'm not going to ask about chicken or egg, but I want to ask text or design first. <laughs> so from your experience, because I see different approaches, something yeah. works for uh, some marketers, something for others, um, uh, your approach. Always messaging first. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would take a Word document that is written succinctly. So I would say that there's a like there's a there's a type of content design. You know how people write on LinkedIn? It's very formatted, short sentences, third to fifth grade level. So mm -hmm. if you can't master copywriting, it doesn't matter how great, you know, design-wise anything looks. And so you can always test the design components too, but just making sure that the functionality is there, the page is loading. And after that, it's always messaging first. That should always be the components that you test before anything else, because we ran a lot of tests when I was in-house at, at uh, my last company and we called it the ratchet ads. So they're the ones that were like gray, they weren't very flashy. And then we had the ones with like our report on there and it was like blue and turquoise and it was beautiful. But then 
the other one had higher conversion rates because they actually took it a little more seriously than the extremely flashy one. So those are tests that you'll find out. Another one we did was uh, we tested a black background versus a white background. And the black background had like a 48% higher conversion rate yeah. uh, than a white background. So sometimes it's something very, very small and nuanced like that. But the biggest thing is you got to make sure that your messaging is clear. Um, and so I will always be team text first. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. I love to write. Uh, yeah. But, and then uh, to make design. But uh, I know some great marketers who use different approach. That's okay if it works yeah. for them. So I think it depends on your background. If you have design background, probably <laughs> you will wanna yep. draw this design. So yeah, um, I wanna ask about AI. I can't avoid this question. It's very important today to use this tool, but uh, I see when marketers uh, don't use this tool, I mean, like in the right way. Uh, and uh, when I generate text with ChatGPT or any other tool, I can smell it, you know, I can feel it, unlock, I don't know, uh, and similar words. Uh, uh, can you tell how to use in the right way? Because I see when marketers often generate headlines, subheadings, uh, other text, but it, it doesn't look real. It's like artificial. So any tips about that? Yeah, totally. So um, one of the best analogies I saw about AI when it all first started coming up, right, is that people typically leverage it like a search bar. When it's not, yeah. you have to think of it as an intern. And much like the landing pages, the biggest thing that you can do to make ChatGPT or AI work for you is to give it as much context as possible. So one of the things when AI first started, I was like, okay, I got to learn how to use this and see if I can improve any of my processes with this. So I took a big masterclass on it, which gave me a huge understanding of it. But the way I leverage it is this. I always have a standard format when I'm putting in prompts, which is who am I trying to be, right? So I am a B2B marketing consultant with X amount of experience. So that tells ChatGPT you want something that's a little more advanced or a little more junior, right? Simplified. I'm trying to explain this product to X ICP, who is the head of marketing at these revenue size companies. Um, and I want a headline talking about leading with the capabilities of the product, right? So that's my ask. And now I'm saying, here's an example of pain points, benefits, features, and capabilities, right, from the product. So you're giving it more information and say, write me three headlines that I can test over the next four weeks uh, related to a pain point, benefit, capability, um, and now it's going to give you a little more information. The other mistake I see people making is they copy the things verbatim that ChatGPT gives you and just post it wherever, right? So that's where you can smell it because it looks exactly the same. If you leverage it like an intern who's giving you a starting point and saying, huh, I've never thought about it that way. That's a good way to write it. And then you intervene and you edit and make it work for you. It maybe does like, I've heard of people doing the keyword research, but maybe you'll kill some of the keywords that it provides you. It still needs a lot of human intervention. So you need to use it as an assistant and not as the thinker. And I think that's where people are getting tripped up. And so for me, when I help my clients create a testing roadmap for all their pages, that's what I do. So I'm like, 
here's that information from some of the customer research portion that we did before in that 60 minute call. I give ChatGPT that information and I'm like, write me a few headlines that my client can test. So now when I deliver the wireframe, I'll say, hey, here's the starting headline. In uh, two weeks, I want you to change it to this headline. We're going to see if that resonates better. Two weeks after that, we're going to change it to this headline. So this is where it can help you with some ideas, but you're still doing some editing and you're thinking, right? You would never publish something that an intern gave you without reviewing it. Same thing with anything that ChatGPT does. You got to refine, you got to give it feedback so it can learn better and give you the kind of output that you want it to give you. Yeah, nice. Love it, love it. Uh, I want to ask about mistakes. You know, in my in my life, I made a lot of mistakes. I keep doing them. It's part of the process. But yeah. paid marketing, it costs a lot. <laughs> and I know uh, companies that lost 500K to get zero leads. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they wasted $500,000. Uh, it's a lot. And uh, can you tell how to uh avoid such mistakes to lose uh a lot of money and uh, i i know it's part of the process to test we need to lose money that's okay but how to minimize the risk of losing a lot of money oh i wish i could give someone the magic answer to avoid mistakes but honestly the best lessons i've learned is from making mistakes i'll tell you uh one time i sent an email out very early in my career. I sent an email out. It was supposed to be an A-B test on time. And Mm -hmm. I accidentally hit like launch instead of schedule. And so it went out. And then on Monday, I had to tell my client, and then it was my client's birthday um, that I had to deliver this bad news. So Mm -hmm. uh, I'll never forget that. Clearly, it's been many years. I haven't forgotten it. Um, But guess what? I never made that mistake again. So sometimes it, you need to hit rock bottom (laughs) so that you don't make the mistake again. But if I could save people from some learnings, right? I would say the best way to learn with minimal risk is try not to do it with someone else's money. Like that's a big deal, right? So one of the things my partner and I, we talk about a lot is we will run maybe the foundational programs for like 80% of the budget. And then 20% will dedicate towards testing or trying something. So if we want to try a different angle or a different message or whatever, we'll leverage only 20% of the budget. And this way, if something does happen, it's only impacted in a little silo and not your entire effort for that channel, right? You're not going to gamble everything all in like poker all in every time. You're only going to do a fraction of it. So I would say for testing, do a little bit of that. But the other hand is, and one thing I wish I could go back and tell myself is try to build something of my own very early on. Because with that, you have a lot more freedom. You can make changes a lot faster. You don't have to ask for permission. You can just move quicker. And it doesn't have to be anything to do with your marketing career. If you like parenting, if you like uh, skiing, if you like animals, whatever, just build something around your hobby or a passion. And if anything, it could be like a little side income for you. But more than anything, just learn how to distribute content quickly in a bootstrapped fashion. And it's going to work wonders for every company that you're in because you'll always think about it that way. You'll always think about efficiency. How can I save money? What's the best effort that I can spend this on. So those are always my two things is make a lot of mistakes, building your own stuff, 
or yep. if you don't have that and you only have client work or in-house, use a small percentage of the budget allocated towards testing where you have the flexibility to fail. Yeah, nice, nice, awesome. And I have my loving question because my audience always uh, asked me about experience, how to acquire experience. I have students who are looking for ways how to learn from scratch. And I have founders, co-founders who are looking for ways how to get the basic to cooperate with great experts. Because I, uh, I, uh, I see when people understand how it works, then results are much better because experts can't decide all your problems, especially if you have bad products, <laughs> marketing can't help you. But anyway, I want to ask uh, this question. Um, if you started today from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills, it's your first day in landing page optimization. You know about paid marketing. It exists you so on Google, but you have no experience on that, how to craft, create anything. So what will you do if you started from scratch? Um, honestly, there's a lot of paid courses and stuff out there, but the best place to learn that's more current, because, you know, there's other tools like uh, Udemy who has like, they have courses, but again, those are all paid and gated. YouTube. Go to YouTube, look up stuff. And what I would do is because you don't want to rely on one single source, right? I would, if, for example, I was starting today and I want to learn about landing pages, I'm going to say, okay, um, landing page optimization or creating a landing page. And then I would look at about four to five sources of information and then also not take things at face value. I'm like, okay, do I have enough to get started? Can I do it for free or cheap? Let me go out and do it. And like I told you, trying to build something that's your own, go put that into practice because the only way you're going to learn is by doing. And so take that, go build something. It's very, very cheap, but I would just get opinions of five people and go from there because everybody's going to have something different to say, and you're going to eventually form your own POV on what those things are. I actually did a post a while ago where I said, if I started my digital marketing career from scratch, here are the five or six things that I would do. So I would encourage you to go back and look at that post. But, um, but that's like one of the things I said is I'm going to build something very early on. I'm going to find mentors. So um, and now with social and LinkedIn, it's so much easier too. you can find experts in the field who are always putting out good insights. And people are very open and nice. They will want to help you and share information. And there are lots of free resources there. So you can learn a lot without spending a single cent. Yeah. So I would encourage uh you to just keep going. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I think we have everything on Google, on YouTube in two channels. And for example, when I started PR, uh, I started with mistakes. So basically I wrote a bunch of press releases. I pitched all of them. I mm -hmm. failed all the time. I got zero mm -hmm. mentions, zero links, nothing. Then I followed uh, Ferry Kazoni, other great experts. I uh, learned on Google, uh, mm -hmm. on YouTube. I spent so much time. Then we, after failing, Practice, I learned the process. Mm -hmm. We hired specialists who can write press releases. We hired uh, specialists who can distribute them. And we got mentions on CNN, Bloomberg, Business Insider, Investing.com, big websites. And because of failing, I, I have no idea how to start it without failing. It's like we, everyone, everyone can start with best practices, generic yeah. strategies. Then we can learn, craft 
our results and we counted uh today we can save plus three million dollars a year because we can distribute all our press releases and even get much better results than if we pay to uh uh pr agencies and we did it yeah we did it we paid six thousand dollars for one uh press release and today we can save all this money and good money uh, so i encourage anyone just learn learn then you can find great experts you can control you can manage because nobody can help you if you have no idea how it works and and like i think yeah. it helps too to understand that first of all I, i hate the term best practice and i'll tell you why because best practice first of all the best practices someone just made up somewhere okay someone who didn't know made it up it became the best practice and industry standard and everybody followed suit but like look at b2b marketing today it's boring everybody's got you know white papers that they are gating for information and then you download the white paper and it's crappy it's like some garbage piece of content and now you have a salesperson who won't leave you alone like that's the process but that's best practice that's how companies are doing it today. And I think that it's wrong. And so always I have a 2% rule, which is you can speak with conviction on anything, but always assume a 2% that you could be wrong. And that helps you keep an open mind, but don't be intimidated if you're new and coming into something. All you have to look at it is I'm gathering information. I'm going to gather all the information from all these different sources. I'm going to learn as much as I can. I'm going to put it into practice. And if something doesn't look right to you and you're like, but everybody's doing this, am I just going to be the person that's doing the opposite? Uh, yeah, do it. Because you need to be the one that eventually sets the standard. The new generation of digital marketers are going to come in and set a new standard. And why not you? You know what I mean? So that's where I tell people, get it, take it for what it's worth but put it into practice and develop your own strong POV because that's what's going to make you stand out in the market. Yeah, I agree. I, I think best practices are good when it uh, if they connect with your strong side. So, mm -hmm. for example, if best practices to film videos, film. But if you love it, if you like uh, to yeah. write, then write. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, only about that. And uh, I have my final question about the future. I want to ask you, take your crystal ball and let us know what kind of future will be in digital marketing. <laughs> Ooh, uh, wow. No one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> I'm not very good at predicting stuff, but let's see. Let's see. Well, obviously, um, it's going to be a situation where AI is going to improve a lot of our workflow. Don't be afraid. Lean into it. Learn as much as you can. Learn to leverage how to use it and uh, get faster and better at what you do. But right now, we're okay. As long as you're still being the thinker and strategist, you'll be okay. That's okay. Um, so that's kind of one thing. I'm hoping that in B2B digital marketing, it's less of a prediction and hopefully with evangelizing the better way that we'll see better websites, more clear copy, um, and more paid distribution that is, you know, heavier on information and consumption than just trying to drive conversions. I mean, if you, I, I love using Old Navy as an example, but imagine if you went to Old Navy's website, you were searching for pants and Old Navy takes you to their homepage where they have all their products. Wouldn't you be annoyed? You were like, I was kind of looking at the pants section. You could at least take me to the pants section, yeah. right? 
So let's think about the experience there. Now, say that they do take you to the pants section, but they don't show you anything about the product. They just say, hey, I promise you, your legs are going to be super warm. They don't tell you what it is. They don't tell you whether it's pants, skirts, dress, whatever. It's going to be warm. Trust us. And then they just had a form that was up there that said, enter your payment information. Yeah, nice. That is literally how B2B is set up today. Yeah. You, you remind me Apple when Steve Jobs introduced uh, I not AirPod uh, iPod iPod yeah mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, he didn't say that you have ten gigabyte in your pocket he said you have ten thousand songs in your pocket <laughs> so you, mm-hmm. you mentioned like this if you wanna warm your legs you need to use this pants uh, yeah a great example but you they need... don't but then mm-hmm. he, I I think that he, and it was great for him he piqued a lot of interest there I think it's harder with B two B because we're saying we promise you, you'll increase revenue. And you're like, well, what is, is this a project management tool? Is this a screen recording tool? What is it? No, just trust us. It's a platform. It's all in one. You'll never need anything again. Just trust us. Put in your information. We'll contact you for demo. And you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And the thing with Steve Jobs is he said, you'll have 10,000 in your pocket. But in the same speech, he said that, introducing the iPod. It's small. It feeds. So he did go into yeah. the features later. And I think that's the biggest piece that's missing is we only talk about the outcome. So um, so for me, I'm hoping that B2B changes. We go back to talking about the product more uh, in a tactful way. And then we make the customers the center of our stuff. And hopefully with a lot of my evangelizing, it'll start moving in that direction. Yeah, nice, nice. That's, it's a big pleasure to get in my show, to learn from you. I love this experience. So valuable, fun. Uh, by the way, you know, the last time people uh, started to ask me about your daily uh, routine or your uh-huh. schedule daily. So if you can share oh. just few insights, it will be great. <laughs> yeah, um, I have two children uh, under the age of five. So my daughter's four and a half and my son is a year and a half. So if anybody who has children that young, you know, I don't have a lot of time. (laughs) So I wake up uh, usually uh, somewhere between 5 and 5.30 most mornings and I work out. And during that time, I typically listen to either a podcast or an audio book. And I actually have two notebooks, one to track all my workouts and the other one to track all my ideas and learnings. And so I capture a lot of content ideas from those or I capture my learnings because I have an awful memory. So I have to write everything down. Uh, I'm with my children, and then I sit down. I work. Um, right now, I only work three days a week. Mm-hmm. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. Uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays are kind of my work days, and the rest of the time, I'm very heavy emphasis on my family, um, which is how I wanted to set up my life. And um, I do a lot of podcasts and talks like this. I work on landing page optimizations and foundational frameworks for my clients during the other times. And then uh, in the evening, it's dinner. And once the kids go to sleep, actually, my best writing time is at night. It's wow. like 8 o'clock. I'll look through that idea doc, and I'm like, hmm, okay. And then I write stuff. I love to create visuals, so I do that for LinkedIn. I share a lot of visuals, so please follow me. And I, I talk a lot about landing page tips and teardowns and um, you know educational content. So you can find all of that there. Um, and... And then, yeah, I go to bed at 10 because I have to wake up at 5. <laughs> so so that <laughs> yeah. is, that's just how my world goes. It's just like a lot of business and family. But, um, yeah. I, I love it. Yeah, you have great balance, 
between family, between job. <laughs> <Yeah>. So yeah, <laughs> nice, nice. Love it, love it. Guys, you can find links to uh, LinkedIn account. Yeah, uh, tell the best way how to follow you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I do have a website which is delphiniumsolutions.com, mm-hmm. but um the best place to find me, to talk to me, um send me a message if you've watched this uh live stream or heard this podcast or whatever and I'm happy to respond to you, but the best way is on LinkedIn. Um you can find me Tasbober, T A S, last name B O B E R, and uh, I share a lot of stuff so hopefully you can come and learn a ton with me and hopefully nice. change a little bit of B2B marketing. Yeah, uh, guys, you can find the link to LinkedIn account, uh, to the website in the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. Love it. Thanks. So valuable. I'm going to follow you. I recommend to anyone to follow us on social media, on LinkedIn, because you can see a lot of value. Okay, guys, love you. See you. Thanks for tuning in to Unmiss. Enjoyed the show? Drop us a review on your favorite platform and help us spread the digital marketing wisdom. See you next episode.